Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. As uh, we uh, get ready to start seeing this scene, it's taken me as the camera comes up to the uh, bottom of a valley in this beautiful creek streaming through it with rocks on the side, overgrown fig trees. It's springtime, the grass is green, and it's beautiful. It's a place of peace. And as I'm sitting there enjoying my spot on the rock side of this, I can see in the distance someone coming. As they get closer, there's more than just someone, there's many. And as they come clear into my view, I can see that they are a rough group. Beards, matted, scars of battle old, clothes that are tattered and torn, grunting, making their way upon the top of the ridge of this valley, carrying each their own weapon, some a sword, some their javelin or spear, their shields, and some with that cool chain and ball that's like a bowling ball with the spikes on it. (laughs) That thing's so cool. I would hurt myself so bad. And as they come to their place to begin to make camp and set up for the evening, and you see fire starting all over the top of this valley, and they prepare to cook their meal for the evening, as they put the meat on the fire, they just let it look like it's been cooked. They can't wait. They rip the meat right off of the bone, raw and all, and making grunts and bodily functions and fist pounds and noises more than syllables themselves is what's taking place around this fire This is a rough group of men. And as uh, I'm sitting there, I catch it out of the corner of my eye. There's another group making their way on the other ridge, trying to look a little bit more orderly. This is what they're supposed to do, but carrying their sticks and farming tools and preparing themselves for what may be this battle the next day and starting to unfold itself as they set up their camp and fires begin to start. They cook their meat to a good medium and enjoy it and sit around and the conversation is much more civil. Bob else Martha as they chew their food 37 times. And I start to realize this is the epic good versus evil, the good versus bad. And like we all do, we've got to pick a side, right? I can tell this mismatched, funky group of people on this side, they're the bad guys. And I got my good guys on this side. And I'm ready to see the scene unfold. And as only cinematography can do the next day as the dawn begins to break and the sun scorches the side of the earth, we can see that beautiful, peaceful creek where all of the sudden humanity begins to clash. As it runs into itself, it meets itself in the middle. Things are flying. People are flying. Blood is flying and is shed. And my beautiful, comfortable little stream is now red with blood from battle. As I watch as this scene unfolds, I'm like, oh, this is so good. It's like Braveheart. I'm like, yes. My wife's like, you're dumb. I'm like, yes. Look at this battle. And I begin to notice the bodies laying upon bodies and bodies, and there's a lot. And I do what we all start to do is figure out who, who, who got today. Because it's become nighttime as, as dusk is happening, 
we can see that there's retreating going on because you can't really see who you're fighting anymore. You have to prepare for the next day, so you've gone back to camp. And I begin to learn that 4,000 men are laying upon the ground, and they're the good guys. And for a moment, I say, what? That's not supposed to happen. But then I look at my watch and realize this is just the beginning of the story. And like most stories, they will prevail. They'll get their stuff ready, and the good guys will go ahead and come back good, and they're going to win. You ever watched a Disney movie? I'm in. Let's do this. And as they're back at camp, tending to the wounded in their own wounds, wondering what just happened, have they seen one of the biggest defeats ever seen in their nation, trying to figure out what's happening at the lens of Scripture takes us into our story today as we're in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And I would invite you now to open up your own flat screen or your Bible, your iPod device, smart thing, or just look on the big screen and I'll read it to you. We come... We come to the point in the story, and I titled this, so you have notes if you want to take it, I titled this, Prayer, uh, How Most People Think It Works. Uh, underline, highlight, circle, square, box it in, the whole think idea. This is how most people think it works. And uh, we get into the story. It says, now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines, the Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Apek. The Philistines de- de- deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why? Why did the Lord bring us defeat upon this day before the Philistines? Have you ever been there? sitting around your fire at night saying, what what just happened? Why why did you just bring me defeat today, God? uh, What's going on? And in so many times we do what we've been taught to do in prayer is the first thing we do is we tell God we need help. Hey, I got a bad situation going right now. It just got really bad. God, I need help. And so it lends itself to the second thing we do is then we tell God what to do. God, I need help. This is what I need you to do. And so we continue to read that uh, when the soldiers returned turned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us before the Philistines? And from the dark, that corner, I don't know what time it is. It was probably 1230 in the morning, early in that next day. I don't know who he is or what he looks like, but I can only imagine that from the corner he leaned forward as that dark voice spoke. And as the light began to cast upon his face as he leaned over the table and said, we need the box. (laughs) What's the box? He said, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hands of of our enemies, the box. This is the box, the Ark of the Covenant, about a little more than three feet long and a little more than two feet wide with angels or cherubim. It's made out of, on top, it's made out of wood but covered in gold and inside it carries different things that remind God's people. 
of what he did and how he provided from them. Hey guys, we need the box. Do you remember what the box did for us? Do you remember that when we needed to cross the River Jordan to get into the promised land that God had promised us, that's why it's called the promised land, we need to get through there with a million people, women, men, and children, and we got to get across during flood stage. And it was like the worst idea ever. God said, go ahead and take the box out into the middle. And <laughs> you say, what? Let's pick up the heaviest thing we can and walk out into the flood. Right. But they did. And as soon as they touched the end of the water, the river stopped up and they walked across on dry ground into the promised land. They remembered, let's get the box. We have the box. Let's, it took them to Jericho, which was one of the first city-states they took down that was large. God said, walk around that place and on the seventh day, walk around seven times and at the seventh time, with the box in your hand, blow your kazoos and the walls will come falling down. And they did. We need the box. Do-do-do-do-do. So now we've told God that we need help and we've, we tell him what to do. And the next thing we do is we believe that God will answer. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark of the Covenant. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that it shook the ground. See, not only did they get the box, as it's making its way in there, at probably three something in the morning, someone has gone to get it at a city nearby. It comes in. It's coming with something extra. Eli is the high priest. Next in line are his sons, Hophness and Phinney. And they're with it. So not only do they have the box, they have the heirs to the high priest with it. And what is defeat in that moment turns into triumph and motivation and captivation. As it's walking there and there's just embers left of the fire, what's left is making its way and dancing across the gold upon the box. And they begin to raise a great shout. And what happens next, it says that in verse 5, the ark of the Lord's covenant came into Israel, into the camp, and all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the roar, the Philistines asked, what's all the shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come into camp, the Philistines were afraid. They heard this in the middle of the night, and they're going, whoa, they just lost 4,000. What are they yelling about over there? What's so exciting over there? We need to get somebody to check it out. And we have all had one of those friends. It's like a little short dude, really skinny, really shifty, right, fast. And they said, hey, we need you to get up. You got to go check out what's going on over there. And so he's like, boo, doesn't even touch the water, goes up, looks through the booth, and he's like, ah, the box. Closes up, runs back over, breathing hard, like, they got the box. And they're like, what? What box? They got the gods. And they're like, what gods? We all got gods. We got rock gods. We got sun gods. We got food gods. We got every god we can let. No, this is the box, the box that is with God. The ones that, the God that helped them through the Egyptians, the greatest nation at time and cast plagues upon their place. The God who took them across the Red Sea. And they walked on dry ground and took out the Egyptians behind them. The God that led them and fed them cereal every morning because they needed something to eat. The God that gave them 10 commandments. They got the box. And they dropped the W bomb. It says, when they heard the ark of the Lord had come into camp, the Philistines were afraid. And God had come into camp. And they said, we're in trouble 
Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck down the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Guys, they got the box. Do you remember how when the Germans opened it, it melted their faces? It's like Indiana Jones. Sorry. Some of you guys see that. It's the box. And they heard that and they went, Whoa to us. We are so woed right now. They got the box. I don't know what it meant then, but it was whoa. And they started packing up their stuff. Started rolling up their sleeping bags and we're like, we're out. We ain't playing with this no more. And packing up their stuff. One of my favorite parts of this story happens. As Philistine Wallace, face painted half blue, rides out in front of them and says... Be strong, Philistines, in verse 9. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. For one day, one hour, alone in your bed, you'll remember this day. No, that part didn't happen. But. <laughs> and they stopped, and it said, so the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated. See, we believe that. We tell God we need help. That's what you're supposed to do. And then you tell God what to do. And then you're going to believe he's going to answer. We've got the box. And the all too common result when we do that is frustration, bitterness, and resentment towards God. Most every time. This is what we do. This is how we pray. We, we tell God we need help. We tell him what to do and we believe he'll answer it. At least the frustration, bitterness, and resentment towards God. And that day went bad. It says, so the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated. What? And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers, and the ark of the God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. What? This isn't supposed to happen. They're the good guys. They have the box. And it gets worse, and you can read it later on your own, but the two sons of the high priest died, and they lost 30,000 that next day, and so they sent a runner back in to see him. And Eli was 98 at the time, sitting in his chair. They told him, we've suffered great defeat, and your sons are dead, and we've lost the, they've taken the Ark of the Covenant. And he fell back in his chair, broke his neck, and died. Not only that, his daughter-in-law, who was married to Phineas, the high priest, was pregnant with baby, heard this, went into labor earlier, gave birth to a son, and died. This is a really bad day. It says uh, in verse 19, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. She went into labor and gave birth but was overcome with her labor pains. As she was dying, the woman attended her and said, don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because of the capturing of the ark and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said the glory had departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. 
Have you guys ever had an Ichabod moment <laughs> where you're like, <laughs> why? Where did you go? Why do I feel like the glory of God has left me? I mean, I had you in my box. I, uh, I'm caught off guard because they've, they've done everything I've learned in Sunday school. In Sunday school growing up, they did everything they taught me to, just calling the name. I remember uh, my Sunday school teacher telling me, like, with flannel boards, they were just fabric boards, and they'd put little people, and they'd stick to them there and tell stories, and it was totally different than now. Like, now they're like, I, I wish I was a kid. They're, like, watching it in 3D, and it's, like, crazy. I was like, what? A flannel board. <laughs> my teacher would be like, this black flannel board, and she'd put fire all over it, and this yellow one, she'd put a huge mansion on it. And be like, look, look, listen, listen. Look, look, listen, listen. Hey, guys, one day you're going to die. <laughs> what? <laughs> What'd you say? And it was always like pick somebody out of the crowd. Like, hey, Jimmy, you might go home today. On your way home, you might get hit by a bus. What? <laughs> Everybody moves away from Jimmy. Oh, stay away. <laughs> if you die today, do you know where you're going to go? There's, there's this place, it's called hell. It's a fiery pit where you burn forever. Or there's this nice, beautiful mansion you can live in, and it's made of gold, and it's beautiful. Who wants to go there? Raise your hand. You're like looking at the guy next to you who wasn't paying attention. Raise your hand. You see the pit? There's fire everywhere. And you say to pray, dear Jesus, take me in your heart. I love you. Let me go to heaven. Amen. And you're good. And I was like, What? At night, parents would say the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, right? For the Lord my soul to keep if I die. What? Before I wake, what's going on? What am I saying? I grew up in Sunday. They did everything I was taught in Sunday school. I, I, I was in Sunday school and they said, hey, you can walk on water. Just focus on Jesus. You can do it. That's God. You can live in the belly of a fish for three days. They'll spit you out and be like, go get them. That's God. You can walk into a fiery furnace and play with angels and walk out unharmed. That's God. You can go pet lions all night. Walk out in the morning and everything's fine. That's God. <laughs> I bought it as a kid. I was scared. I was like, that's what it is. If I need something, I just call on God. Jesus, he'll get me right there, and I'll be walking on water, and I'll fix life. And when I became an adult, or even in my 20s, I went, what is that? Uh, Ichabod? Like, where, this is, where, where are you at? Why, why is this happening to me? And I bought it. I love the way that Del Ralph Davis says it about this, uh, partially because he has my last name. Uh, I'll read what he says in this book, uh, Looking on the Heart. He says, What the Israelites did that day in battle, that wasn't faith. That was superstition. It's what I call rabbit foot theology when we, whether Israelites or modern day Christians, we operate this way. Our concern is not seeking God. We want to control him. We don't want to submit to God. We just want to use him. So we prefer religious magic to spiritual holiness. We're interested in success, not repentance. God will suffer shame 
rather than allow you to carry on a false relationship with him. And God will allow you to be severely disappointed with him if that will awaken you to the sort of God he really is. Perhaps, Christian, someone told you things go better with prayer. What then is the drive and purpose behind your prayer life? Is it delight in meeting with God? Or do you pray so things go better for you? Whenever the churches stop confessing that God is worthy and starts chanting God is useful, that's when you know the ark of God has been stolen once again. See, friends, uh, this isn't some dash on you or us. This is the American church. This is us Christians. We have done an amazing job, Christians, on how, on teaching Christians how to use God and not be used by him. It's, uh, <laughs> we've, we've, we've taught ourselves that it's the cosmic Coke machine. You go up, you put a few prayers in, you pick what you want, you push it, and you take it out, and you're like, thanks, big G. I'll see you later. I'll come back for another one. And then you come back around like, yep, yeah, this is what I need. This is what's going on. And you take it, you select it, and you take off. And what they did that day is they said, oh, man. We can't do this by ourselves. Let's get the box. And they brought the box in thinking that, oh, this is going to make it happen. And it didn't. See what the Bible actually says about prayer? It says, God's guidance is based on our obedience. I gave you a ton of scripture there to go through on your own if you would like. I encourage you to do it. I'm going to only read you a couple because there's a lot. In uh, 1 Samuel Uh, Two, just two chapters before, verse 30, it says, Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I promised you your house and your father's house would minister before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me, I will be disdained. Hey, I've made you promises. You know the coffee mug promises? You know the one we always drink, Jeremiah 29, 11, that it wasn't even written for us, it was to a nation. Hey, God made promises, but he's saying, no, 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 time out. I'm kind of done with that because you don't get it. Far be it from me. You honor me and know me, I honor you. You don't, you despise me, you do everything, I'll be disdained from you. That'll wake you up right there in the middle of the night. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. In uh, James 5, 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore... Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. In uh, 1 John 3, we have confidence before God and we receive him in anything we ask because, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. See, God wants us to seek 
him. He wants us to seek him, not control him. Not control him, but to submit to him, not him to us. So many times we learn from this story, we get it all twisted. And instead of getting religious, we need to get right with God. Instead of getting religious, we need to get right with God. It says just one back in James, it says, Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You'll grieve and mourn and well. Your laughter will change to mourning and your joy to gloom. But humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He wants you to get right with him, not religious. I, uh, there's the whole stigma out there about religion is this bad thing. I'm, in, I'm with it. I mean, I feel like it's gone a little too far. Uh, but it's not about showing up or being religious or doing this and being this robot of what you're supposed to do and it's just supposed to happen. It's about getting right with God. They had the box. <laughs> that was like, there's religion 101. Carry it around. Wear the necklace. And when they cried out to God to fix their mess, God said, that's not my mess. What you're doing isn't my mess. What were you doing in the battle in the first place without me? And Israel thought that the box had saved them before. What Israel forgot is that they were walking with God before. Said, hey, look at all the things that we've done and the things that God's conquered because we had the box. He said, no, no, no. It's not because you had the box that you carried around and you said, oh, sick it, God, sick it, and then put them back away. It's because you were walking with God before these things happened. And some of us actually think that Jesus died on a cross to bless my life. When in reality, he died a murderous, horrible death, we'll talk about next week, to own my life. He paid a price, a heavy, heavy price. Massacred himself for me. And I asked myself, why? Why has he never answered my prayers about my relationship? Why has he never answered your prayers about relationship? And he goes, that's the problem. It's your relationship. You haven't ever let me be a part of your relationship. Why, why God, haven't you answered my prayers? They're just hitting the ceiling about my finances because they're your finances. They're not our finances. What about my job, God? Why haven't you answered my pleas and, and prayers about a job? Hey, I need you to come here. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do because it's never been our job. It's your job. It's always been about your kingdom, not my kingdom. Why would he answer it? And the amazing things, friends, about God is that when we stop saying, give me, give me, help me, give me, and start saying, make me, make me, use me, we, we have a God that will never give you what you deserve. He will give you an abundance of grace and mercy, and love. Who in spite of who I am and what I've done calls me son and daughter. 
This is a, a powerful story, a powerful reminder, because you're like, well, that's not going to happen. But God, thank you for this lesson. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.